I'm having one of those mornings where I'm like, God, why am I even here? Um, you don't need me. He literally came and stole my whole preach in worship. But that's good, because actually it's not my preach. It's, it's him. And I always want to point to him. And um, sorry, my voice, I worshipped a little hard. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah, I felt like I felt like God did something there in worship. There was this kind of nail that He has driven in, and I've been doing some kitchen renovations. I've had some experience with nails lately, and what's great is when someone really drives a nail in so that it sinks under the wood. It's very hard to get that nail back out, and I feel like there's a nail in, and God wants to drive that thing all the way home so nothing can pull it out. So. So I'm going to preach. Anyway, so yeah, man, we as a church have been embarking on this journey of reading the Word of God um, because we love it and we're Christians. And if you weren't sure why you're here, it's because we are a church that loves Jesus and loves His Word, and we are going to read it. And um, so yeah, I had some inklings of starting in Genesis 1 verse 1 because it seemed like a good place to start in the beginning, and I didn't get very far. Um, so we're going to start with Genesis 1 verse 1, and actually we're only even going to cover half of that verse, okay? And it is this thing, in the beginning, God. You know, God has existed before anything else ever was. Everything that's been made has been made by and through him. I love in John 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I want you to remember that. Nothing has been made that has not been made by Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I love the way the Bible starts, with in the beginning God, this God who exists outside of space and time. He hasn't been created. He always has been, and through him, he brings out creation. And I love the creation story. You know, God creates light. He separates the sky from the water. He creates dry land. On that land, he calls forth vegetation, plants, trees, shrubs, even the vegetables, guys. He creates the moon and the sun. He sets out all the stars in the heavens. He creates fish. He creates the sea animals. He creates all these creatures, these birds that fill the sky and these animals that fill the land and he commands them, go and be fruitful and multiply. And then at the pinnacle of creation, in Genesis 1 verse 26 to 31, God says, let us make man. And he makes man differently to the way he makes everything else. Because everything else he creates out of his kind of incredible creativity. And I look at some creatures and I'm like, God, what were you thinking? Like they're so weird and wacky and beautiful. And I love that because all of creation cries out 
you know, his glory. But then he creates man, and he does man differently. He says, let's make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over everything else that we've created. And he blesses man and says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I want you to stop and think about that. That God who existed before and outside of time made you. And he did make you, because John 1 verse 1 says that nothing was made that was not made by him. So if you were here, you were made by God. And I don't care what the world or your parents or the government or anybody tells you, because those things are all created. They all came after God. And I love it. You know, he makes this beautiful, creative, genius, wild, wacky nature, kind of existing in perfect balance and harmony. But when he's looking to make you, he draws inspiration from the most glorious of all that exists, and it's his own nature. He looks to himself for inspiration when he makes you. And he models you after himself. And what I love about his nature, you know, he's us. He says, let us make man. He is this triune God, this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct, separate, very different persons operating in perfect unity and harmony. You were made after that. You were modeled to be relational. You were, mo you were made to be loved. You were made to love. You're made to be part of something bigger than just your own self. You're made to be holy. You're made to be moral, knowing right from wrong. You're made to exercise authority, to have a purpose. He created man, and man's purpose was two things. It was to know and be known by God, and then it was to exercise authority over the world. Man had a role. Adam and Eve weren't just randomly rolling around the Garden of Eden with no purpose or destiny. God gave them purpose. He gave them destiny. He gave them identity. But mostly, he made them to know him and be known by him. And the biggest question we all face, the thing that keeps us all awake at night, or if you know him, gives you great peace, is these two questions, who am I? And what am I here for? You can answer those two questions. Well done. Because that's the stuff that keeps people up at night. So I love the story of how he made us, but the story takes a bit of a turn for the worst. Where he creates man, he gives him this beautiful purpose, his beautiful relationship, and he puts him in this beautiful garden where man has got everything he needs for life, to sustain him, to give him purpose, to give him meaning. 
and he gives him one rule, one boundary to keep him safe. He says, you can eat anything in here, except that one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you kind of, if you've read a bit of Genesis or you even loosely know your Bible, you'll know what happens then is that the devil comes and he deceives Eve and he kind of says, you know, did God really say? He starts to cast doubt on the nature and character of God. And Eve is fooled and she eats the fruit and Adam follows and sin enters the world. And this beautiful creation of God's that was built for eternity Suddenly, death enters in, and it becomes corrupted. But who was this Satan? Who is he? What does he do? Like, why is he even here? And the thing about the devil is he was also created by God. He was actually made by God. He existed in heaven with God. He had also a role and a purpose and a calling But he wanted the glory that God had, and so he reached for it, and he rebels in heaven, and he takes a third of the angels, and there's this war that breaks out, and he loses, and him and a third of the angels are cast out of heaven down onto earth. And can I tell you, the devil hates you, really, really does not like you. He is not your friend. He is not going to give you anything good. And the reason for that is actually that we were made in God's image. We carry a reflection of God's glory. We carry in us the thing he tried to grasp for. And we have what he wants and what he couldn't get. And so he hates us for it. And that's why he came into the earth. He was like, cool, God, you love these guys. I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to hurt you through them. I'm going to attack the image of God in us. And so in Genesis 3, he enters the world, and he comes to Adam and Eve, and he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve kind of says, yeah, you know, he said we can eat from all the other trees except this one. And so the first lie that the devil casts is not actually an outright lie. It just plants a little bit of doubt in the heart of man of, is God really good? Like, is he really who he says he is? Just this little niggling doubt. And then onto that, he puts the lie, which is like, God's not really going to kill you. Like, he didn't say you'll really die if you eat it. And Eve is fooled. The enemy's primary weapon is the lie. Satan is the deceiver. He loves to lie. In John 8 verse 14, it says that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so this is what he does when he comes and he lies to us. Firstly, he asks us that question, did God really say, is he really who he says he is? So he puts this doubt in us about the character and the nature of God. And then after that, he comes and he attacks our identity. 
Because if we're suddenly doubting or not certain of who God is, that's who we're modeled after. So if that character is in question, suddenly so is ours. And he loves to just come and deceive us in our identities and who we're made to be. But the thing is that the devil walks in here now, okay? Big red dude, long tail, horns, walks in. And he'll be like, I know that guy. I'm not going to listen to him. The Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. He presents himself as something that he's not, as this angel of light. And the thing is that the devil, he can't create anything new. The only one who could create was Jesus. So what the devil tries to do is like, I can't create anything new. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to corrupt what God has already made. I'm just going to twist it a little bit. But the thing is that he's clever. So he masquerades as an angel of light. So when he comes, you see him, you kind of think, yeah, that, that kind of looks like an angel. And it's the same with his lies. If he straight up comes and tells me, Adam, you are a dolphin, I'm going to be like, I'm not a dolphin. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm a very obviously not a dolphin. But if he comes to me and says, Adam, you know, you're not really loved. That's a little easier to believe because he's crafty. He likes to come and take 90% of truth and just tack on a little bit of poison. And so I mess up. I do some stuff. I get things wrong. I'm not perfect. I'm still learning to be this obedient disciple. I'm still being transformed into the image of God. And so sometimes I mess up, and it's very true, and the devil comes, and he's like, yeah, you, you messed up. God is angry. And I know, like I see sometimes in the Scripture, God does get angry. And so then I'm like, ah, oh, flip. Man, like now... I'm believing this thing that actually God hates me because of what I've done. And, and so you see how he comes. He takes kind of most of truth and he finds your weakness and he finds your little chink and he exploits it. That's why I love the stories of the ladies meeting because that's what he did. He came and took someone's parents and lies to them through it and holds them bondage in this deception because suddenly you're like, do I really matter? Am I really wanted? I don't know. There's this big question in my heart. And so he corrupts things, things like sex. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful part of marriage. It is designed by God for the fulfillment of marriage between a husband and a wife. It is, it is one of the most incredible kind of parts of marriage. And the devil comes and he takes that thing and he corrupts it. And he turns it into an industry. And he messes it up. And he takes our natural, inbuilt, godly attraction for the opposite sex and he messes it up, and he perverts this thing that God has created. And he does it with everything. He does it with marriage. He does it with parenting. does it with beauty. Like, beauty is such a beautiful thing. God made men and women beautiful, like, and then the devil comes, and that thing, he corrupts it, and he twists it, and he messes up what God has done. And he does it to churches. He does it everywhere. Where he can find a gap, he will. 
But the thing about a lie is it only has power if you believe it. So if the devil comes and says, Adam, you're a dolphin, I'm like, no, I'm very clearly not a dolphin. That's stupid. And I walk off and that thing has done nothing to me other than possibly give me a good chuckle. But if he comes and says, Adam, you're not loved, then I believe that. Suddenly that lie has got power. And it's a perception. It becomes my reality, but it's based on this flawed fact that doesn't actually exist. But it holds me captive because to me, suddenly it's real. And so you need to know that there is a battle on. The battlefield is our hearts and our minds. The territory being fought for is our eternities. Because you were made for eternity. In the Garden of Eden, there was no death. You were made to know and be known by God on and on and on into eternity, never dying. Which is a beautiful thing, if it's real. And so God made us in his image. The enemy came and corrupted that image. And now there's this war on between the devil trying to remake what God has already made in his image and Jesus trying to remake what the devil has corrupted into his image. And so we are image bearers. We are ambassadors of something. There used to be this great old song that um, said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. The reality is we do. We reflect someone, somewhere. And so how do we do this? How, where, what is our hope? What chance do we have against an enemy like the devil? How do we find truth and see these lies? In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So let me tell you, the devil is strong, and he is very crafty, and he is very good at what he does. If he wasn't, our world would not look like it did. But I'm not scared of him. Because greater is he who is in me, greater is Jesus and his Holy Spirit in me than him who is in the world, who is the devil. So this might be his territory. Guys, the Bible tells us clearly that we are actually living in enemy territory. The devil has been given authority and dominion over this world, but not without limit. God does still exercise limits on him. But his spirit brings freedom. And what we've been hitting on since the beginning of this year is his Holy Spirit alive and living in us. The reason there was so much life this morning is that we're trying to follow the Holy Spirit. We ditched the program. We started late. We took way too long with testimonies. I don't care. It's where the Holy Spirit was going. And out of that, we found incredible freedom this morning, and it was beautiful. And so what does it mean that I, why do I even need to be transformed into God's image? Why should I even long, you know, to look like him? 
And the reason is that it's your purpose. So I was chatting to a friend of mine the other day who kind of trying to figure out what he wants to do with where he's at in his walk with God at the moment. And he said, he's like, he was talking to another pastor and he said, like, I just want peace. And this pastor turned around and said to him, you'll never find peace unless you walk in your purpose. And I love that because the reality of it is, is that I have been made in God's image. It is hard coded into, it's beyond even my DNA. It's hard coded into my spirit. But I was actually born to reflect and to look like Jesus. My whole underlying design requires that I know and be known by God. In him, I suddenly find the answer to that question, who am I and what am I here for? Who I am is Adam, the ex-drug addict, thief, sex addict, porn addict, like if you name them, I've kind of been there. That's who I was. But now I'm this new creation in him, a son washed clean, blameless, adopted, loved, his identity on me. That is now who I am. I am a son of God. I know suddenly where my place is in creation. What am I here for? I don't know. I can't tell you what I'm going to be doing in five years. But I'm here for a relationship with him. And as I walk in relationship with him, suddenly the rest of life starts to kind of take shape. It's like the picture of my children. I love using them as illustrations. But they are my children. They are in my household. As they walk life with me, I shape and change and teach them, and they grow up into something, even as I have such vision and purpose and hope for their lives. And it happens as they walk with me. They don't fully yet know even their full potential. My job as a dad, and I see it for them, and I lead them, and I guide them into that. But the whole point of it is relationship. Imagine I just wrote them a manual. My boy, when you turn seven, do this. When you turn eight, do this. And by the time you're 21, you'll be like, no, that's not how it works. And some of us approach the Bible even like that. It's not how it works. It's about relationship. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon is kind of searching for the meaning. It's actually a very weird scripture if you read it. He's like, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And it's kind of, um, but he drops this one line. He says that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. And there is in us, if you think about it, there is this echo of eternity. There is, you know, I don't actually know if atheism is even a thing. I don't see how it can be because inside of me there is this longing of like, God, I know that there is something outside of this life I'm living. I see it. I feel it. I don't understand it, but it's in my very bones. I know that there's more. And it's that echo of eternity. I think it's that thing we had in the Garden of Eden. We were made for eternity. But we're going to die. And that was the devil's plan. Death entered the world. It was supposed to just end there, but it didn't. You know, we get to actually still, for us that know God, go on and be in eternity with him. We were made to be these eternal beings. We're made in the image of God to reflect his nature and his character to each other and to the world and even just sometimes to ourselves. We're made to be in relationship with him and with each other. God exists in relationship. 
his Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all together in mutual submission, in perfect unity. We're made for a purpose, to carry authority, to know and be known by him. And so I want you to get this, that the one who was before anything else was, he made you, but he made you for himself. He made you for him. That is your purpose. That is your great call. But the deceiver has messed with that thing. He messes it with me still, guys. I still often have to fight through old mindsets and patterns and because I haven't won that battle yet. It's like God has broken the back of the enemy, but he's still there twitching and kicking and clawing out wherever he can. I've still got to fight for my own revelation of this. But mostly I've got to fight against the strategies and deceptions of the enemy. And this is why I love the word of God. It is a two-edged sword. It is sharp enough to divide bone from marrow, Spirit, it is this thing cuts through anything and especially lies. Especially lies. And this is a great thing about having it is when you have the truth of God, it becomes easy to see the lie because you're like, okay, this is what you're trying to say about me, but this is the word of God. I've got two things that conflict here. I'm going to go with the word of God. Trust that one a little bit more, a lot more. And so even this morning, I love it because God has been doing this thing. He's been, our chains, our prisons, they're actually deceptions. That's what it is. You're chained up by something, it's actually a lie. It's a deception by the enemy. It's I've sinned and I'm not worthy of forgiveness or love. That is a lie. The whole point of what Jesus did on the cross is because he knew you were going to sin. He knew you were going to be bound up. Before you even did it, he planned to rescue you. You were abused as a child. That pain carries me. I can't forgive. I know it's hard. But man, the Holy Spirit has done work in me that I've forgiven some stuff that should be unforgivable. And I've done it out of revelation of actually knowing how messed up I am, actually, without him. Hopelessness is a lie. You have no future. You have no purpose, you have no family, you have no meaning. You were made in the image of God. Addiction. Yeah, I heard what Brett said this morning, but man, you don't know how bound up I am in this thing. You don't know how deep its roots go into me. Have you met my God? Do you know what he can do? Guys. Well, I can't, I can't talk about the stuff I'm bound in because it's going to be embarrassing. Let me just set you free here. I was a thief. I stole stuff to sell to pay for drugs and booze. I slipped my way around through the whole of varsity to the point where I've lost count. 
was violent. I used to go to clubs just for a fight, just because it would be fun. Just smash somebody because I felt small. Spent my tuition money on parties. Lied for years. Stole for years. Bound up in drugs and alcohol and sex and all the pleasures of this world for years. Not ashamed. I don't care that you know that about me. You're going to see it all any day. You're going to actually see some live action replays of Adam in his youth and it's going to be wild. And on that day, I promise you, your response is going to be, oh God, you're glorious that you could take that oak and save him. Let me tell you, your shame is a lie. Your shame is self-preservation. It's the devil saying, hey, don't, don't, people aren't going to like you if you tell that. God's not going to forgive you. You're going to be embarrassed. People are going to know all your stuff and they're going to laugh at you. Let me tell you, they might, people. We're still all growing. If they do, in this context, I'll deal with that. But let me tell you, God knows it anyway. He sees it anyway. It is coming out anyway. You get to deal with it in this life or at the end of it. I'd rather have my books balanced by that stage. And so I'm not ashamed to share my struggles. I do it often. I'm not ashamed to share my weaknesses. I do it often. Because I know that the enemy would love to keep me trapped there. And I don't want to be trapped there. I was made in the image of God. For God. And what I love about Jesus is that if you look at our world, if you look at the things we do, the people we kill, the money we steal, corporate greed, abortion, war, prostitution, the sex trade, human trafficking, the things we do to God's creation. Honestly, if I was God, I'd be like, I'm going to squash you like a bug because of what you've done to what I've made. Yet despite all the enemy has done and despite all the corruption he's brought, God has no intention of abandoning what he made. Because when he made it, he looked at it and he said, it is good. And what I love is this passage of Scripture in John 3, verse 16, which we all know. But when I read it again, knowing what's been in my heart, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. There is that echo of eternity coming back. That is the root back. Ah, but God's judgmental, you're going to tell me. Looks at the stuff I do and he judges me. We all know John 3.16. Who knows John 3.17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. 
So my question is, what are the lies you've believed about either God and his nature and his character or about your place in that story? What is the prison you carry around with you every day in your heart? What is the chain you cling to? Because maybe it's all you know. Maybe you don't know if the story of this God is for you. Are you a slave in some area of your heart? Are you trapped in the lie? Because if you are, this is how you fight it. You ask the Spirit to show you, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He will transform you back into that image that you were made in. The Word. I love it. I go back to the Word often. Anytime I feel like maybe I'm not worth it, I go and I read Psalm 139. Go and read that passage of Scripture and tell me you're not loved and made with a purpose by God. I go to that thing like once a week. Anytime I'm feeling a little bit lame, I go there. And it's not to puff myself up, because this is how God feels about me, man. I want to feel about me the way God feels about me, not the way the devil feels about me. And then each other. You know how often I've gone to someone else and said, hey man, I'm struggling, I'm feeling like this. And they're like, Adam, how can you believe that? Can you not see, like, no, that's rubbish, it's the enemy, it's a lie. And I'm like, suddenly I'm like, oh, I see it. I love, even in creation, we see this in our eyes. Close one eye and you've got no depth perception. We've got something called stereoscopic vision. Your two eyes are just far apart enough that when you see, you have depth perception and can tell how far something away is. If I'm only seeing with my one eye, I can sort of see what's there, but I don't know how near or far. Add another set of eyes. Even his creation reflects these things. Can we get the worship guys up quick? Okay, I know we've done a lot of worship this morning, but I, I don't want to rush things. And I do feel like... No, thanks, Jason. Um, yeah, I just keep seeing this picture of, um, I, it may be for someone yet, maybe for all of us, but um, I keep seeing uh, standing in front, of, in front of a mirror, and the mirror has our, obviously our reflection, but, but there's this demonic, <laughs> like, I mean, it's totally the devil, standing behind us, whispering things as we look into that mirror, and I just... You know, when Adam said, the, like, he feels like there's a nail being smashed into something today, I feel like it's that mirror that's being shattered today. God wants to shatter that perception of you. Um, and I, I just feel like you, as, you, as we look into that mirror with, and listen to the lies, and we're just like, we're taking in what's reflect, reflecting back at us. I just, I feel like the, the enemy is, he's playing games with our minds, and I feel like it's not just like in a physical mirror in your bathroom or your bedroom where, where it's very real for us to um, become deceived because we're relating things, you know, through this 
perception, but I feel like it's social media. I feel like it's it's um, everything that reflects back to us as people, like we're weighing ourselves up. And the enemy is using these things to destroy our identity. And I, I really feel today it's, a, it's an identity thing. God wants to deal with our identities. And, um, yeah, I, I also just felt like this mirror being one depth of who you think you are. But I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to take our minds and go, do you know? Do you know who you are in me? Do you know what I have for you? Stop looking into this mirror. Take your eyes off. Take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on me. Put your eyes on me and I will show you. I will show you wonders and miracles and incredible things. Incredible things about what I've called you to. Incredible things about your worth. Take your eyes off this mirror. Yeah. Hello, Brooklyn. I really love you guys. Um, as as the as the whole service unrolled unfolded, I just felt as though there's particularly some young people that you you don't have the perspective of a whole life where you've seen God do a lot. So you look at other Christians who may be older and wiser or more awesome. And you think, I've already messed up so much. You know, I've already messed up so much. And I've started off all wrong. And God has such a compassion for young people. And he just gave me this um, memory from Psalm 25. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. Your truth. For you are the God of my salvation. All day long I wait for you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and loving devotion, for they are from age to age. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my rebellious acts. Remember me according to your loving devotion, because of your goodness, O Lord. He remembers you according to his own nature, not according to yours. He remembers you according to his loving devotion, not because of what you've done. And you know, it's never too late to begin as you mean to as to begin again as you mean to go on. And God will help you, His Spirit will help you. It says, All day long, our Lord, I wait for you. Um, guide me in your truth, and you will. 